1: This is the John Fugelsang podcast.
2: So the next phase of Russia's so-called uh, special military operation has begun. The Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov made an announcement this morning confirming the reports of a large-scale offensive underway in the eastern Donbass region of Ukraine. Biden had a call this morning about it with G7 and, and NATO, and um, here I want to play uh, Pentagon spokesman John Kirby detailing how quickly the aid is now flowing to Ukraine from decree all the way to wheels up.
3: From the time the president authorized this latest 800 million on the 13th of April, uh, 48 hours later on the 15th, the first plane was taken off with stuff in that package.
2: And meanwhile, There's another incredible released audio clip that Ukraine's security service has put out. They're putting out all these intercepted phone calls of Russian soldiers calling back home to talk about how awful it is. This was a 28-second clip of an intercepted phone call of a woman back in Russia giving a pep talk to her son, telling him to not lose his fighting spirit and saying he's doing great deeds in Ukraine. And the son, a Russian soldier, shoots back, what are we doing? We're killing civilians and children, damn it. And the mother says no you're not killing civilians and children you're killing fascists which experts have said showed how effective russia's domestic propaganda is right now um they don't know where in ukraine the soldier is but they put out the audio it's pretty incredible and i want to play joe biden because he visited new hampshire today to remind everyone again the bulk of inflation rests in the energy sector which is the fault of you know who
3: well we saw the most recent inflation data Last month, about 70% of the increase in inflation was a consequence of Putin's price hike because of the impact on gas and energy prices. I'm doing everything I can to bring down the price to address Putin's price
2: hike. Putin's price hike. They're going to keep on saying it. I don't know if it'll work, but, you know, there's a great piece that our friend Judd Legum did today. He does the popular information newsletter, which I recommend starting your day with, especially now that we're missing Eric Bollert more than ever. Popular information uh, Judd puts out every morning, and he's got a great piece about, um, once again, calling out the real profiteers of inflation. It's, It's the companies. I mean, it's the CEOs. In March of this year, Amazon announced they would spend $10 billion to purchase their own stock, just to increase their own stock price. Their CEO got a compensation package of $212 million. Okay, um, The ratio of his compensation to the average Amazon worker, who makes $32,000, the average Amazon worker, the CEO-to-worker ratio of pay is $6,000. 474 to one call it Prudence' price hike all you want but it's the robber barons doing this amazon did great in 2021 and 2022 they made billions during the pandemic they're still jacking up the prices costco increased their profits by over a billion dollars and they're raising prices across the board uh lowe's better product pricing plans is making their profits shoot up. All these companies made so much money in the pandemic, and yet they're still raising their own costs. And these right-wingers are trying to get folks to blame Joe Biden. But um, Judd Legum points out one company that has not chosen to exploit inflation, Arizona Ice Tea. Even though aluminum prices for the cans have doubled in the last 18 months, even though in the last two decades, the price of high fructose corn syrup has tripled. It's one of the reasons why I'm not a fan. Um, but still, the cost of a 23-ounce can of Arizona iced tea is the same as it was 30 years ago when they first debuted the product, 99 cents. In 30 years, the price of a can of Arizona iced tea has never gone up a penny. Throughout all of the pandemic... And all of the price hikes of the corn syrup and the aluminum for the cans, they have not raised the price because Don Voltaggio, who's the founder and chairman, he's okay with making less money. He still makes a profit. He said, I'm committed to that 99 cent price. When things go against you, you tighten your belt. Consumers don't need another price increase from a guy like me. He's doing well enough. He and his two sons own 100% of the company. They have a combined net worth of $4 billion. They are refusing to jack up prices like all of their competitors. There's the proof, folks. The culprit for inflation is what it always is, corporate greed.
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax-certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive. And start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. The way car buying should be.
2: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? So you might have missed this last week but uh cia director burns was speaking at the georgia institute of institute of technology and said given the potential desperation of president putin and the russian leadership none of us can take lightly the threat posed by a potential resort to tactical nuclear weapons or low-yield nuclear weapons if you're like me you're wondering wow uh, what do those terms actually mean well i am so pleased to welcome a gentleman who was once Deputy Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade Policy and Development in the Clinton administration. He also served as acting U.S. Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. Now he is a... CEO of the Rothkopf Group, a media company that produces podcasts including Deep State Radio, which he hosts. He's a terrific writer and broadcaster in his own right. David Rothkopf is the author of books including Running the World, The Inside Story of the National Security Council, and The Architects of American Power, Superclass, Great Questions of Tomorrow, and of course, Traitor, A History of Betraying America, from Benedict Arnold to Donald Trump. I have read this gentleman for a long time. It's a great pleasure to welcome David Rothkopf. To the show. Hello, sir. Hi. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. Before we dive in, let me ask you, how, how are you doing? How is your family doing during this uh, crazy time of COVID?
1: Well, you know, knock wood. everybody. Every, everybody is fine. Some people have gotten COVID. People have been vaccinated. They've gotten over it. We're one of those quirky families that believes in science, <laughs> vaccines, masks, taking care of ourselves trying to help take care of other people and so far that's paid off wow why do you hate
2: freedom sir (laughs) um yeah exactly uh, exactly
1: well you know what i don't understand i was listening to your last conversation you know i i think the forces of science are losing you know and, and you know this is not you know the the reformation or you know this is not 500 years ago but bunch of people have gone out and they've said we don't believe in science we believe in uh horse medicine for people we don't you know when we we think that you know taking care of yourself is an infringement on our rights and and they've won the argument it it's it's mind-boggling to me
2: i think the u.n climate report authors might have a thought or two about that as well i mean it does seem
1: that no kidding that's why so many people say that movie don't look up is a documentary
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's just crazy. And with all the fear going on in the world, you know, you're not the first person to raise the possibilities of what might a scenario look like where tactical nukes could be deployed. Obviously, Putin is not having a good time. This, um, this uh, invasion is not going as easily as he thought it would. And I want to praise your piece. If you haven't read it yet, folks, it's in the Daily Beast. Even if Russia uses a nuke, we probably won't, but Putin would still pay dearly. Um, it is true that if Putin were to use a single tactical, tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine or in the atmosphere high above Ukraine, if he were to use just one, it most likely would not result in any direct military involvement, Correct.
1: No, I, I don't I actually don't think that's correct. I think we, there are a variety of things we could do that you might characterize as direct military involvement. I don't think it would result in in us using a nuclear weapon, uh, which is a good thing. I don't think we would rise to that bait. Uh, I don't think it would result in us expanding the war, but you know if, there, if if the source of the attack were identifiable, a particular air base, a particular military unit, you might see the United States or 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 other countries uh, launch missiles at that site, uh, you know, in a very limited kind of a way. I, you know, in the U.S. government, there's a, a, a discipline with regard to the war in Ukraine that they call Vegas rules, which is to say, what happens in Ukraine stays in Ukraine. They want to keep it within the boundaries of Ukraine because it's not in the interests of Ukraine. Nor is it in the interests of NATO for this to spill out, so they they want to contain it. But having said that, if Putin ratchets things up, you know we will ratchet things up on the other side, just not in the way that he would.
2: Exactly. I mean, you mentioned that your sources have said that even though Russia has a lower threshold for the use of nukes than other wep- other nations, um, the aversion to responding in kind to take the bait, as you put it by the West and not trigger a global nuclear conflict would be seen as a sign of strength, wouldn't it?
1: Well, I think it would be you know, and I I think the reason for that is it would be a sign of strength. It would be a sign of moral superiority to Putin. Uh, It would also be a sign that we didn't think we had to sink that low. His act would be an act of desperation. You know, I don't think people realize this, but right now there are more NATO troops around Ukraine than Russia has in Ukraine, and it is very clear that the Russians, you know, have more than they can handle with the Ukrainian military. Not the world's most uh, 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 advanced, not the world's best equipped, brave and ingenious as they have been. Uh, there is no comparison between their capabilities and those of NATO. So. You know, if 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 Putin looks up and beyond the borders of Ukraine, he sees forces that he does not want to tangle with. Uh, And that allows NATO the luxury, if you will, of finding ways to punish Putin. And Putin would be punished for this in a whole variety of ways. Um, uh, And as would his military, that, you know, do not escalate this in a way that makes it you know, more dangerous for Europe or Americans.
2: Well, you point out that not only are there more NATO troops bordering Ukraine than Russia has within the country, but that the NATO troops are better equipped, better trained. And we've seen all these defeats that Ukraine has handed Russia. So I'm curious, what are some of the range of options that NATO would consider on top of all the sanctions we've already witnessed?
1: Well, first of all, as you know, there's some gaps in the sanctions. The, the Germans and others are still buying Russian oil and gas. I don't even think that, you know, for all their, their waffling on these issues, they would be able to continue to do that in the event that there were a WMD attack, whether it was a uh, a nuclear attack or whether it was a, a chemical weapons attack. Um, so I, I think that would happen. But, you know, you can also take sanctions and you can say these are not temporary sanctions until you withdraw. These are permanent sanctions. And I think there's a belief, a lot of U.S. government officials believe, that Putin thinks that once he you know, settles this, things are going to go back to normal. And to the extent to which they don't, to the extent to which Russia is a pariah state, he can never leave the state. Um, uh, his 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 oligarchs who have benefited from his uh, uh, rule, it can, you know, cannot continue to benefit. Uh, that's a, a form of pressure that we be added on him. I am sure that the types of weapons that we give the Ukrainians would also change materially. Perhaps it would include missiles that could reach um, Russia. Uh, perhaps it would include uh, different kinds of aircraft. Perhaps it would include uh, uh, different kinds of training and intelligence support from us. Uh, so I think every place we could ratchet it up, we would. And I think we would consider very, very limited military strikes to say, you know, this is not acceptable. Um, uh all those things together, I think, uh, make it very unlikely that Putin would do this. And I would point out before, you know, this is a show late at night, you don't want people not to be able to sleep, that when uh, CIA Director Bill Burns said, we have to consider this possibility, and President Zelensky said the same thing the next day, they were quick to point out this is not based on intelligence that Russia is about to do this. We've been very good about leaking our intelligence, using our intelligence to our advantage. But in this particular case, it is just simply prudence. It is just simply saying, Putin's got his back to a wall. And because he has his back to a wall, he could do anything. And because he has these capabilities, we need to be prepared for it. So I think it's wise, prudent. Uh, uh, I don't think it's imminent.
2: Uh, Sir, I've never seen in my lifetime this kind of solidarity uh, against a military excursion like this. What has impressed you the most about NATO and uh, and the White House's opposition to Putin's actions?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, on, on there, there have been a number of things that have been impressive. The, the uh, President Biden, who is the most experienced foreign policy president that we've had, uh, is showing the benefits of that experience. He has an extremely good team. Um, and they have handled this from beginning to end wisely. And I think most people don't know, but they were tracking this last year, not this year. Yeah. They they were getting intelligence. They were preparing. They were working with allies to prepare last year for this. Um, and, you know, the way they've used intelligence, the way they've worked with the allies, the way they've been a real both a leader, but also a good partner, not the U.S. as a bully demanding things go one way or another, but the U.S. listening to partners and and trying to keep the team together. Uh, and they've been strong. You know, uh, if you look back at the 20 years of Vladimir Putin's rule, whether it was George Bush or Barack Obama, of course, Donald Trump, we were anything from sort of weak or hesitant with Putin Um, to, you know, you know, Trump, Trump was a fanboy of Putin, Trump enabled Putin. Um, Joe Biden's been the strongest by far. And, and what he's done here in terms of putting weapons, uh, at at the disposal of the Ukrainians and marshaling the forces of, of, of Europe, both in terms of sanctions and in terms of strengthening, uh, NATO's response, moving NATO forces forward has been remarkable. But then, you know, NATO has done the same and the EU has done the same and the leadership within NATO and the EU have been great. And I think, you know, Vladimir Putin had one big goal, right? He wanted to, quote, keep Ukraine out of NATO. He didn't want NATO to get stronger. At least that was his pretense for all this. Well, you know, Finland and Sweden are now talking about joining NATO. Those are two substantial nations. They have Uh, not wanted to be part of NATO, you know, throughout its existence. uh, This is a big sea change. It really uh, changes the strength and capabilities of NATO if it happens, which could happen within a matter of months. And um, uh, uh, so, you know, that's a a place Putin has miscalculated. and, And, you know, you see, you know, in the past couple of days, the EU has extended uh, the, the, the you know, an offer of membership to, to Ukraine. They promised to fast track it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, today the Netherlands said they were sending more weapons. You know, there was a report on NBC, which I believe is accurate, that the White House will be uh, uh, okaying another $800 million in weapons in a couple of days. Heavy weapons that will help them fight this battle of the Donbass, which is about to happen. Artillery, that kind of thing. And so this has really been sort of NATO's finest hour since it was created, working the way it was supposed to, uh, working as a unit. uh, And and I see every reason to to assume that's going to continue. Is there potentially a nonviolent solution that also includes
2: Ukraine membership in NATO?
1: Uh, well, first of all, we're well past nonviolent, right? I mean, you know, the, 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 what course. the Russians have done in in Ukraine is appalling. I think we only know the tip of the iceberg. Now, I should have said, is there it. a peace? Is there a potential peace settlement that could a peace a that? peace settlement? Yeah, I think in terms of a, a peace settlement, um, uh, that may come, but it's only going to come when Putin thinks he has an advantage or has come to the conclusion he will never get an advantage. I think the negotiation right now is going to happen on the battlefield, and it's going to continue for um, certainly weeks, probably months. Um, But, you know, there could be a point where we reach a stalemate uh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the Russians say, okay, we'll, you know, retreat to these borders. We hold this land. Perhaps there could be some negotiation with the Ukrainians about, you know, referenda or other kinds of decisions leaving the, the fate of those lands to the people. Uh, but honestly, I wouldn't say that was likely right now. The Ukrainians have made a lot of big successes against the Russians. They are mm. outraged at the serial war crimes of the Russians. And I think there's every reason to assume that they think they can beat the Russians uh, and that, you know, there's no point for them to negotiate until they're in an even stronger position. So No, no time soon. Now, there was one part of your question, which was, could could Ukraine be part of NATO? I don't think that's gonna happen either. That was not really on the table, but -hmm. I think you can get almost there. If Ukraine's part of the EU, the EU has said they will help rebuild Ukraine. We will help rebuild Ukraine. If, if 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 the EU carries with it certain kinds of security guarantees, and if we're in there with thousands of people and hundreds of billions of dollars trying to rebuild this country, that acts as a kind of shield as well. So I think you could have a European Ukraine uh, that is right. closely affiliated with the EU, part of the EU, uh, and has sort of the benefit of NATO's protection without actually being a member of NATO.
2: I've been amazed my my whole life how Putin has managed to walk between the raindrops when it comes to consequences for the suffering he's inflicted. I'm thinking of Georgia, Crimea, Chechnya had 50,000 deaths and the deaths of 14,000 Russian troops. And yet he's been able to hold on to power and enjoy some measure of popularity. We know that Russia... Whatever you call them likes to have their czars, but we also know they're capable of revolutions. A lot of folks forget it was only about thirty years ago that that Mikhail Gorbachev was almost overthrown by his own military. Are hopes for a possible regime change in Russia misplaced?
1: Well, I think that has to fall into the category of a long shot, you know, whether it's a five yeah. percent shot or a fifteen percent shot. I, I don't know, but it's not, it's it's certainly not likely because Putin has. Uh, his hands firmly on the levers of power. It's there are very few people around him who are in a position to uh, uh, influence those levels levers of power. They're very carefully selected. Uh, could it happen? Yeah, it could happen if if the people suffer more, uh, if uh, if they start seeing the truth about what happened in this war. Uh, if the oligarchs are feeling the pinch, and all of a sudden the benefits of kowtowing to Putin evaporate, uh, if if some of the support he gets from overseas dries up, if the Chinese start saying ah, this is too much of a liability, we're not really going to help out as much as we we were intending to, you know that that could tip the scales. But you know Putin has one big advantage, and uh, and that is six thousand nuclear warheads and uh the sole control of those six thousand nuclear warheads and that has given him a lot of latitude Uh, i think when we look back on this period of history uh, we will certainly look back on a period where it looked like the west was enabling him placating him we didn't challenge him we didn't hold him accountable for grozny not for lepo not for georgia not Mm -hmm. for crimea not for poisoning people in the street, not for throwing his, uh, opponents off of balconies. Um, you know, this man has been committing war crimes and crimes against humanity since the day he took office. And, um, and, and we haven't stood up for it. We have, in, in fact, you know, many people that particularly in Germany, you know, the, uh, the German leadership have enabled it. Uh, and, um, uh, Uh, And and that's not going to look good when we look at it in the rearview mirror. But uh, for now, uh, Putin stands to suffer the biggest defeat of his career uh, if, in fact, the Russian army suffers more losses and what they ultimately achieve out of this uh, is is very small compared to its enormous costs. I'd like to quickly ask you
2: about democracy because uh, Emmanuel Macron finished first among the candidates in last Sunday's election in France with 28% of the vote. In second place was, of course, far right wing candidate uh, Marine Le Pen setting up a true clash of ideologies, something Joe Biden has always said he's most fond of, is comparing his record and what he stands for to what the other guy stands for. You cover this in uh, another excellent recent new piece for the Daily Beast. Emmanuel Macron and Joe Biden have the same problem, getting the left to vote. How concerned are you with the potential turnout this year? And do you take hope in the fact that people, once they see what the choice is, might be more motivated to get off the couch and show up?
1: I, I'm terribly concerned. I, I think American, you know, democracy is in the intensive care ward. I I you know I think that if we have an election that goes the wrong way in 2022 if the Republicans regain control of the House if Kevin McCarthy is the speaker of the House you can expect Joe Biden to be impeached you can expect the January 6th commission and other efforts to try to get to the bottom of of the the coup to disappear overnight that there will be new kinds of investigations that new laws will be passed that will make it Uh, harder for people to vote, new restrictions will take place, new judges. uh, I mean, you know, not during Biden's not going to nominate any judges that would would go against uh, uh, democracy, but 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 none of Biden's judges will get uh, approved in a Senate that was controlled by the Republicans. And then we will go towards 2024. And if Donald Trump or, you know, a Trump wannabe like uh, DeSantis ends up becoming the Republican nominee and and is elected I think there's a serious chance American democracy will not recover it will never again be what we uh were raised to believe it was uh and um you know I I, I, I you know I, I'm very reluctant to say that I'm not a deeply pessimistic person by nature All my life I kind of believed that this this country was special and it had this ability to redeem itself but we're at a very, very precarious moment. And, uh, you know, if, you know, you, you you pick up the paper in the morning and what do you read? You read, well, the Democrats are going to get creamed in November and there's no chance. Well, if a lot of people listen to that and they think, well, there's nothing I can do about it, then, then it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I I think we really have got to sort of make sure that everybody realizes that this is existential, that the other side is not, Offering a different agenda, it's offering a different kind of future in which democracy doesn't play a role. It's That's a right. real threat, uh, and um, and and I think we need to start calling it out for what it is. I, I think we need to be much much stronger in in raising the alarm about uh, where this could all take us. And uh, that had, that that has not happened to the extent that it should happen so far. So, you know, we we've got a few months to go. But I wouldn't say that I'm extremely sanguine about how it looks right now. You point out all of the uh,
2: vigorous efforts Macron has making right now reaching out to get the endorsement of left-wing leaders uh walking back his proposal to raise the retirement age because that was very unpopular really stepping up his criticism of le pen over here we've seen joe biden achieve a lot of economic successes that are largely unreported the confirmation of katanji brown jackson of course to the supreme court is a, a very big moment and just today the Biden administration announced a new plan to uh, address longstanding failures in federal student loan programs, and it's gonna result in immediate debt forgiveness for about 40,000 Americans. Would this be a good start? What does this administration and this party need to do to get people to realize there's an election going on and to disprove these obituaries we're seeing in all the press?
1: Well, I think, you know, first of all, communicate what you've done, right? Last year was the fastest growth we've seen in 40 years in the United States. More jobs were created under Joe Biden than in the first uh, year than under any other president. More jobs have been created under Joe Biden than the last three Republican presidents added up throughout their entire terms. Uh, You had the one point nine trillion dollar of the American uh, Rescue Plan, which lifted up a huge portion of children in poverty out of poverty. Uh, And created many, many jobs, which is why we're at very nearly full employment in the United States right now. You had the $1.2 trillion infrastructure plan, which is going to create many, many jobs and is the first major plan of its kind in the United States. Uh, Since the Eisenhower administration, you had... Uh, getting back into the Paris uh, Accords, you had uh, getting back into negotiating with uh, 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 other other international institutions in a way that restored American standing. We talked about NATO. Every poll that's taken around the world has shown American standing has uh, risen. And uh, you have the most diverse uh, cabinet in history and you have more judges appointed in the first term than ever before. And it's the most diverse group of judges. And I could go on and on and on. And the fact is, this doesn't get through. It needs to. And it can't stop here. The president needs to come back and say, how am I going to help you deal with the fact that prices are going to be a little higher for a while? What can I do to make sure that companies are not uh, profiteering off of off of the backs of people. What can I do to stand up to the abuses of companies that are not paying taxes and billionaires that are not paying taxes? There are things that can be done, and we need to do them. And on top of all of that, we've got to say Donald Trump, the Trumpist Republican Party, Ron DeSantis, Tom Cotton, Mike Pompeo, you know Matt Gates, you know the entire crew are not just other politicians. They're not offering an alternative. They are a threat to the way of life that we've lived with in this country for a long time. It's dangerous and we have to rise up and not treat this as another election. We have to treat it as a referendum on what kind of country we wanna live in for the rest of our lives. Amen, I wish they'd hire you for messaging.
2: Uh, You know, Macron is really, really doing a lot to tie Marine Le Pen to Putin, would it be effective for Joe Biden to remind Americans of how many of these GOP leaders have been very supportive of Putin in the last several years? Or is that an issue that won't sell with American voters in the midterms?
1: I think it will sell. I think we need to make the point over and over and over again. We have to remind people that Donald Trump uh, not only was elected with the help of Vladimir Putin, but Donald Trump tried to withhold military aid to Ukraine. You know, remember, this war started in 2014. That was during the war that he tried to do it. Uh, And why did he do it? To help himself. Uh, There's video floating around right now that shows Trump saying, hey, why don't you get along with Putin? Putin's a fine guy. Uh, Trump told his secretary of defense that he wanted to get out of NATO if he got reelected. Get out of NATO. Trump tried to draw down us forces in europe pull them out of germany imagine where we would be if that had happened should we tell that story absolutely because it's the truth because donald trump was not just a threat to american democracy it was a threat to american national security and the people who are protecting him the people marjorie taylor green and all these other characters the 63 republicans in the house who voted against support for nato These people are threatening our national security. I never thought I'd see the embrace of an enemy of the United States by leading U.S. political party, as we have here. And we've got to call it out uh, every single time it comes up.
2: It is such a pleasure to have you, sir. Long-time fan, first-time suck-up. Before I let you go for a (laughs) well-deserved evening, I want to praise you for a tweet you just did where you said, We are the assets of Twitter. If we walk out the door the moment Elon Musk takes it over, it is nothing. And I can tell you I, for one, have no desire to participate in the social engineering experiment of that particular out-of-control megalomaniac. Well put. Are you heartened? By the uh, other owners of Twitter uh, and the board uh, blocking this hostile takeover,
1: I, I, I'm I'm definitely heartened by it, and I'm disgusted by the response of you know the the Musk bots and the Musk trolls and the right wing and the Ron DeSantis's who said something idiotic about this today. You know, who are saying, "Well, Musk is for free speech." No, he's not. What Musk is for? is lying on Twitter, misleading people about health care, misleading people about, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the behavior of the administration, putting people like Donald Trump back on Twitter. You know, the, the right is like, this is about free speech. It's not. It's about ensuring that people are not fomenting violence in the United States, that they're not uh, fomenting ideas that will actually lead to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people, as they did around uh, 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 COVID, and 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 so you know that we need protections against people like this. And I got to tell you, the notion of billionaires going and buying up the big media outlets in this country, and they already mm-hmm. own a ton of them, uh, mm-hmm. and twisting them to serve their political views, is 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 terrifying. And if you don't believe me, i give you the name Rupert Murdoch. I'll give you the name Mark Zuckerberg. Mm. Uh, See what see what has happened in those places. See what that's done to political discourse in this country. We don't we don't need it carried on any further. And so the idea of a poison pill to keep Musk out of Twitter uh, is a good thing. Uh, And, uh, you know, what I said about leaving and a bunch of people said, well, you'll never leave. That's like people saying they moved to Canada when Trump is elected. Uh, uh, it's not actually. I I've never said I'd move to Canada because I think we have to stay here and fight people like Trump. Uh, right but but I don't have to participate uh, in a social engineering experiment of 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 the kind of megalomaniac that Elon Musk is, um, uh, and I don't think anybody else should if they believe that truth matters and that not stirring up hatred and division in the United States. Matters on platforms like this. there need to be some guidelines, just like it's you know, against the law, to yell, "Fire in a crowded theater. It needs to be against the law to do similar things like that um, in places like Twitter. I agree. I am so tired of this man and his
2: bots lying about what censorship and the First Amendment actually mean. David Rothkopf is the CEO of the Rothkopf group, and you can listen to him hosting the podcast Deep State Radio.
1: What's the best way for our listeners, sir, to keep up with your work? uh well that's pretty good the dsrnetwork.com is where you can find deep state radio and our other stuff i write for uh, the daily beast i write for usa today uh uh, on a a regular basis i have a book coming out in the fall um uh so you know those are those 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 are all good ways but uh i appreciate the chance to be here and to talk to you i've really enjoyed it
2: thank you so much we hope to get you back uh when the book comes out if not sooner really a big fan it's great to have you thank you so much and have a great evening conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details hyundai there's joy in every journey let me go if i may to howard in manhattan hello howard what's
3: up hello hi hello hi john
2: Yes, Howard. Oh, hi. How you been? Um, listen, I'm. Listen,
3: I haven't called much. Uh, it's so infuriating, you know, depressing, and terrifying what's going on in the country. And I was listening to Tom Hartman end of last week, and he's pretty sure we're going to lose both elections for the, in the, at the midterms, and that's even yeah. more depressing. So I want. Well, we to, will I if no one shows right.
2: up. We 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 will if people don't show up to vote. If everybody who voted for Biden last time shows up, then it'll it'll be safe. If they don't, well, we'll find out how bad it'll get.
3: Yeah, but here's an idea. Want to? I mean, I was so angry. I thought back when I was president of uh, Citibank South Korea and I had some influence and some resources. First thing I would, and I would, I would not retire. I am now would have stayed another three years, not stayed, gone to work for three years on the following idea, and I just wanted. Maybe somebody listening could do it. I'm just an old fart now. So to counter the propaganda of the right, I mean, they own 90 percent of the broadcast networks. Dems own 10. They ground us with sledgehammers and fear of the same thing. They all say the same thing. We'll never compete with that. There's nobody around. But my idea, and I tell you, I would have dedicated three years of my life is to set up Something like a TikTok network where you don't have anything partisan, you don't have, you never mention the word left, you never mention the word right. But the amazing thing about TikTok, they got one billion users in five years. And what it would have done is made it about fact and fiction, nothing partisan. And I would have called it the Albert Einstein School of uh, Fact and Fiction.
2: Nice. I had
3: connections, so I would have tried to get into the two richest women in the world. Um, which would be mckenzie Bezos and Melinda Gates. I would have put everything I had to start countering that network. And same time, about the Democrats don't know how to mention, uh, don't know how to message to save their lives. And I think our democracy is gone in 2020, 2024. And I don't want to leave that shitty world for my kids and my grandkids. Talk me out of this. Tell me everything will be all right.
2: Look. Here's the deal. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I think that suddenly everyone's going to give a shit and show up to vote in the midterms. We know through history, the only time we've seen people show up to vote in midterms is after 9-11. In my life, that's it. Bush did well after 9-11 in his first midterms. Every other president, as Barack Obama puts it, got shellacked. But I also know that this media that's so obsessed with the horse race, (laughs) the media might want Donald Trump to come back in 2024. Yeah, the media kind of might, but, but journalists don't. And Trump will be great for ratings in a campaign, but I sort of feel like uh, I don't think he can be elected again. I think he can wreck the Republican Party. Look, Kevin McCarthy's worst nightmare is being Speaker of the House because Kevin McCarthy is a dope who can't do anything, and all they will do is obstruct all they will do if they take the House and Senate is be shitty. And that's what Joe Biden will have to run against. Joe Biden is very fond of saying, don't judge me just for me. Judge me by what the other guy wants. And Joe Biden will run against him. And it's what happened to Bill Clinton. It's what happened to Barack Obama. They got shellacked in their midterms and then they got reelected anyway. So I'm not worried long term because what the, the the only thing that gets people to show up and vote against Republicans is Republicans getting power and reminding people how shitty they are? This happens my whole life. It keeps happening. Yeah. They get, every Democratic president that's been elected in my life has gotten the job because a Republican fucked everything up. So I know it'll be bad. It'll be very bad if they take over the House and Senate. But it's not the end of the world. It won't be, and well, it'll motivate people to show up in twenty twenty four. But the, in the meantime, yeah, I'm not giving bad. up. I'm I'm not going to get negative about I'm it. Not and and up. yeah. So, you know, as long as you show up to vote, that's a start.
3: Yeah, and I tell that to all of my friends, even my enemies, as it goes now. And,
2: and by you, the way, Howard, one last thing.
3: Dictator like FDR, yeah.
2: One last thing. They want you to despair. They want you to think there's no hope. They want you to give up. Don't give the fascists what they want. Don't do it. Oh, I understand. And right. if they take over the House I, and I Senate, don't. don't let them see you cry. Keep on fighting.
3: Yeah, I just want to be able to do more. I mean, I had influence 10, 20 years ago. Anyway, John, you take good care. Be safe in this crazy world, man.
2: You too. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much for the call.